Hey guys, welcome to Strangely Biblical. My name is Shelby and I will be co-hosting this podcast with my brother, Jeff, who you'll meet in just a moment. Today, we're just doing an introduction episode to let you know what this podcast is going to look like. We're going to be talking about the weirder things of scripture. That is passages that often get glossed over because they're hard to understand. These are topics that you don't hear preached from the pulpit very often. These are the things that give depth and richness to scripture that we sometimes miss. The Bible is anything but boring, and we hope that that's what you get from this. Whenever you're done listening today, please leave us a rating and review. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at Strangely Biblical on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in. We are introducing ourselves. My name is Shelby. And my name is Jeff. And we're brother and sister. And we're going to talk about Bible things together that are strange. The weird stuff. Stuff we're not afraid to approach. Yes. And that's the question, Jeff. What's your purpose behind doing this? Like, what what do you want to do and why? For me, it's an outlet of study. I enjoy teaching people and I enjoy studying things. And lately I've been focused on more of the stranger things that you read in the Bible and you're looking into things that a lot of people just don't understand. And I think it's important for me, after I've studied these things, to be able to have an outlet for that. And that is what this is for me. I care about people being willing to stretch their perspective a little bit. So um, I don't care as much that we find the perfect answer to everything that we ask, but just that we're willing to like have the open mind to change your perspective to some degree so that you're willing to even ask the questions. Like a lot of people just avoid the questions that are hard or that they don't, or they're afraid of what the answer is, but being willing to do that. Yeah. The Bible is a weird book. I mean, there's a lot of things in it that just are not very approachable. They're just something that you just don't understand completely. If you don't have any context for it, whether you're looking at, uh, back in Jesus' day with Roman law, that culture that was alive at that time, or going further back to the world that Moses lived in and the ancient Near East world, and even going into Egyptian mythology and all of that. Um, There's a lot of places you can go, and if you don't have any context for it, there's a lot of things that just sound really odd. Odd, and, you know, I think growing up, a lot of people would just, like, skim over anything that was hard like that, and it made us grow up with kind of a closed mind of this is the black and white answers, the things that I know for sure, and not really willing to dig into any kind of nuance. And now the more that I've listened to you and dug into things myself, I like, I'm honestly coming up with more questions and answers, but also a lot more peace around that perspective, because it's not, I'm not dying on a hill of something that I only understand in part. It's like, okay, I mean, I'm willing to go there and ask the question. Still maybe a little skeptical of the answer, but willing to at least go there. What, uh, to give a little context for that to people who don't know us, we grew up in a very strict Christian background where it was very legalistic, I would say. 
And we were told, you know, it, we need to have a Bible answer for every Bible question. And if we didn't, that was a source of contention for us. That was a place that we were stressed out about. And that's where we're getting to a lot of these weird things and that really weren't addressed for us. So that caused a lot of anxiety on our part. Well, and we also, anytime you were arguing with anyone, not arguing really, but just having a discussion with anyone, there would be that one verse that was like, oh, here you go. This is the answer. This is all you've got to have. And that answers all these questions that you have. But really, it's one verse taken out of context to prove a point. And that's actually not what the Bible's used for or should yeah, it be. Yeah, we're, we're looking at proving a point all the time. And that was what it always turned into. If we're having a conversation with someone about Scripture, it was always about, you know, proving I'm right and you're wrong. Um, and that's kind of what happened a lot for a lot of, you know, different disciplines of Bible study during a period I would call like the, de the debate era um, of Christianity, where we were all just trying to find our place, prove our point. And I don't think that was something that was new to the 20th century, but it was something that went all the way back, you know, even back as far as the Reformation. We've always just been arguing, trying to prove our point. And if we go back to the Reformation, we have times where even blood was shed over the issues. This is where I love, like we have, um, I lead a Bible study and the girls in it, none of, no one came to it thinking they had all the answers. It was, we were all there to learn. And in that people are curious and watching people be curious is my favorite thing because they're willing to ask weird questions and they're willing to hear weird answers or the I don't know answers, but I'm intrigued. Let's look into it more. And it just leads to being like more and more inspired to dig in. Whether you're finding the perfect answer or you're just getting to know God more, it's still fruitful. There's so many things that I change my mind on, you know, every time I study. And it's it's a little bit uh it, you do have to find peace. You do have to find that peace with whatever you're studying. So I do want to be able to ask the hard questions. Uh, I hope that as we go through this, that we have people who write in, call in, text in. I don't know how you're going to be able to contact us, but however you do it, I hope that you have questions and I hope that you will present those to us as you know often as you can. And if there's a question that we can't answer right away, that's just part of it. We don't have all the answers and we'll do our best to at least shed some light on it. I think it's cool too that as we're not trying to just like give these are 100% fact answers, it's up for discussion. A lot of the things that we talk about, you can still be open to dialogue. We will be open to any kind of dialogue versus saying, nope, 100%. I mean, there might be some things that we feel pretty confident in, but some things that are stranger are harder to like pin down this is 100% black and white, no nuance here. I've been interested in some topics and I've had people give me the the cutoff line and say, oh no, that is this X, Y, and Z fallacy that was addressed by the Catholic Church in 300 BC, not BC, that's bad, 300 AD, that was the end of the discussion. Well, it, it, it violates what the Catholic Church said back then. And I'm not, you know, anti-Catholic Church per se, but you can't just give those cop-out answers. Uh, you have to address them again because the mistakes that they made back then are not necessarily the mistakes we make today. And there's mistakes we're making today that they didn't make back then. Um, I believe it was C.S. Lewis that said that you should read a new book in a, in a old book all the time. I think, I don't remember what kind of frequency he said, but you should always look at old discussions of theology 
and compare them to new discussions of theology because we're going to be making different mistakes. Um, I will say that some of the things that I have learned lately were things that were not available during C.S. Lewis's time. And we have a lot more available to us in terms of translations. Um, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls that they didn't have 100 years ago. We have computers that have allowed us to dissect every little thing that we read. And access to all of these things has made us a lot, I won't say smarter, but it, it's given us a lot of information that we didn't have whenever we were trying to interpret scriptures 100 years ago. And easier ways to like have it all cataloged where you can just grab and go instead of having to go to a big library and like get 20 books out <laughs> to figure out. Yeah, I mean, we're saying this as I sit next to a bookshelf. Some of the books I have are, you know, based on theology. Some of them are not, but I spent uh, a lot of money on the uh, Yellinker Bible Dictionary. And that's something now I have digitally and I can consult that a lot more easily than I can these paper books. Not to say that I won't get back in them at some point. I still have a paper Bible that I have a ton of notes in. I'm sure I'll refer to several times as we do this. So let me ask you this. I've, I've gotten this question and I just want you to answer it. If you're talking to someone about some of these like weirder things, for instance, let's just say giants. Okay. Why do you think you've never heard anyone like preaching about this from the pulpit or talk or even like referencing it as much from the pulpit? Because it's scary. It's just something that is not approachable and something that really requires a, you almost have to start at the beginning and get all the way to the end mm -hmm. for it all to make sense at the same time. And I've noticed that as I talk to people and, you know, I bring up giants and I bring up, uh, you know, the Nephilim and the, the sons of Yahweh, as I'm discussing all this stuff, if I'm just talking to one of my friends at church and I don't actually have time to expound the whole story, it sounds really weird. And I sound like I'm, you know, talking about Bigfoot. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's something that you know it's going to come off a little little scary, a little a uh, little weird. But uh, and I think that's a big part of it. A lot of ministers haven't been taught about these things, or they've been taught, particularly in Genesis six, they've been taught a, a Sethite view that kind of erases the supernatural part of it. Mm -hmm. And that's something again. Now that we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, and now that we have the Ugaritic. Ugaritic texture, the, just the, all the archaeological evidence that we got from Ugarit, and we're able to compare using computers their language, the Hebrew language, and even the Syrian language, and come up with a story that really fits in their ancient Near East culture. It's something that, you know, even 50 years ago wasn't popularized. It's really started to get popularized, I think, in the last five years. So I've been told by a few people. You're going down a rabbit hole. Like, why do you care about this stuff? Like, it seems like you're missing the main point. And to that, I say, whatever's getting you intrigued by the Bible is good because you're digging in and you're spending time. And in the process of it, you're getting to know the God who created all these things. And that's the goal, right? And I've been asked the same question. And it's, it's just about learning more about God. If you're not interested in God, I don't know what you find in Christianity that you find amusing, but that should be something you're interested in. And ultimately, Scripture is, you know, given to us by God through man so that we would have a, a way to know him, a way to know what he's like, 
what his character is um, and how he has expressed himself throughout history. I, I know we both have listened to the uh, the Bible project, and one of the things is that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And I would say I, w- I would agree with that. And mm-hmm. I've listened to a lot of uh, Michael Heiser and read The Unseen Realm, and you have as well. And for him, the story is more about, it's still a unified story that leads to Jesus, but it's also getting into the story of the sons of God, the disinheriting of the nations, and the reclaiming of the nations. And that's something I do want to start talking about uh, in the next podcast, that there's a whole story that tracks from the very beginning of Scripture to the very end of Scripture, and we'll go through that. I love how he talks about it being a mosaic. And when you really think about that, like there's all these fragments and pieces and parts that we're reading from Genesis to Revelation and even other Dead Sea Scroll works. And you're piecing them together. And all of a sudden you have this beautiful mosaic that comes together that makes a lot more sense. And through learning about the divine council and things that I learned about in the unseen realm and Dr. Heiser on podcast has helped me understand like the the gospel, the story of the kingdom of God. Like when you start bringing in those pieces, it adds this like richness and depth to what you already knew. And it helps it just like resonate in you so much easier. And now it's like, it means something deeper when you have dug in and start to bring in these pieces and parts. I think that's part of what attracted me to Michael Heiser and the Unseen Realm is that I, I read passages talking about putting on the whole armor of God, and it's not principality, it's not man that we fight against, but principalities and powers of darkness. But I didn't have any idea of what that was. What what do you what do you mean by these principalities? What do you mean by powers? We acted as if there was no such thing as a spiritual realm, an unseen realm. And that's what I really wanted to get into looking at that. And we, you know, angels and demons have always been a topic of that was intriguing to people. And it's really blown up. Like I said, I think it's just been the last five years. And that comes with that comes with good and bad. Right. Because it can be it can be really good to like have a more supernatural awareness of these things. But at the same time, you have people who would exploit it. Uh, and I have seen that in uh, in several forms lately, uh, seeing it on Instagram and seeing it on social media where people are, they got pretty grotesque and pretty uh, graphic in, in one recent one, but I, I won't get into that. Don't you think that comes from, I feel like when we were like maybe high school-ish, like 10, 15 years ago, the rise of just being, like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, kind of it became a lot more mainstream and maybe being more spiritual led even people who would consider themselves religious willing to go down a more spiritual road to like to talk about that a little bit more or what? Yeah. And I don't like this dichotomy that we've set up between uh, spiritual and religious. Uh, Obviously the Jews thought that it was a spiritual experience when they were religious. I think what you see Jesus preaching against is their legalistic behavior and their elevating of what I would say would be oral Torah over what was actually in the writings. Um, also, the elevation of keeping up with tradition and keeping up with the letter of the law, as Paul would put it, 
and focusing less on the graceful nature of God, the giving nature of God, uh, and not uh, another thing that we talk about, we can talk about if we go into Amos is just we have what we call social justice today. Amos dealt with his own social justice problem, where it was the rich taking advantage of the poor, the judges not judging right rightly. They were taking bribes. They were, um, you know, not treating people fairly, and that was the whole point in there. I think that the the term religion or being religious has just changed in meaning. Like now, people are are basically when they say that they're saying you want to follow all the rules without the heart. And they want to follow all the heart without the rules. Yeah. So it's like, let's come together. <laughs> I say they as if obviously I'm picking a side there, but um, it, they, they go hand in hand. It's not you're either religious or you're spiritual. It is you are spiritual. You are a spiritual being on this planet. And studying scripture and the the sacraments, the things that we do in worship, that's not what I would say what, you know, they define religion as all of that stuff without the spiritual aspect of it. That's not what we're doing. That's not what we're about whenever we go to church on Sunday. It's uh, it's a unified experience. So what is, what would you say is the thing you're most excited to talk about? Oh, I like the discussion of the sons of God. Um, the disinheritance of nations, and we'll get right into that. I would say just the disinheritance of nations, the reclaiming of nations that we see all the way in Acts 2. Um, so we do have something that goes all the way to the very beginning in Genesis and all the way up to the new, uh, new covenant uh, in Acts 2. What do you think originally got you interested in this type of conversation? I think it was more just a hunger to know more uh, and a disenchantment with what I've been taught and the feeling like there was more depth there that I had not encountered. Yeah. You know, it's really popular today to like deconstruct your religious views and like, but I think what's important is to reconstruct them as well. And, you know, don't deconstruct and just leave it there. Like, okay, all that was false. Well, now what? So as you're, and maybe not even all false, but not as black and white as you thought it was. And so I think you and I both have gone through seasons of realizing that the things we thought were such simple answers just aren't simple answers anymore. And the more you dig in, the more nuance you find. And like we said earlier, it's about finding peace more so than a, than a black and white perfect answer in some of this stuff. And I totally appreciate my upbringing uh, in terms of it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot of things that I would never have explored. I would have never known um, if I didn't have a a purpose. My purpose may have been, you know, prove the other guy wrong. But if you're going to debate somebody, you better know your topic. So, you know, I don't I don't approach everything through that lens anymore. I think that there is a time that I did. But again, there was just something missing. There's something that just wasn't taught. And speaking of deconstruction, and this was, you know, we've, I think we've both had our experiences with that because we uh, we have grown a lot. And for me, it was I want to learn uh, for a period of time, at least it was that I want to learn as much as I can 
uh, about God and about whether or not, you know, he is real, he does exist and all of that. And any new information I have, if God is real, there should not be any new information that should be forbidden that, uh, you know, he, I should be afraid of exploring because that's another thing. I, I don't want to stop asking the difficult questions because I'm afraid of what outcome will, will come from it. Uh, I want to be able to explore those things. And, you know, so far, so good. I don't know. I think it was probably conversations with you that got me intrigued by some of this stuff. But I was also listening to some weird podcast on the side and following some interesting people on Instagram and like bringing all that together was fun for me. But the biggest thing is learning about the heart of God from reading the entire, like I finally read scripture beginning to end all the way through and seeing the whole story makes you just like, you know, you can pick apart these different stories about God and question whether he's good or would a good God do something like that X, Y, Z. And, but when you read the whole story from beginning to end, it's like, oh, that's why, that's why, that's why it starts to make more sense. Getting into the conversations about the giants and then getting into like how my, Dr. Michael Heiser in Unseen Realm talks about the holy wars and how they would haram certain people groups. Haram, there's holy wars. The, um, it's the total annihilation of the people in a certain city. Yes, which was always really hard. If you're reading that and you're like, this is a good God, he loves humans, like what is he doing? But when you understand that more de- with more depth what that means and, and why it needed to happen, which I'm sure we'll get into, it's like, oh, okay, like God is good. I know these things about God. It helps make sense of that kind of yeah. thing better. And that's points like that are where I kind of get back into my debate mode um, where people want to criticize what, you know, God did not endorse slavery, but he allowed for it within Israel. And we'll, we can take a look at what that looks like. And that's one of the difficult, difficult questions that I don't want to be afraid to approach. I don't want to be afraid to at least give some sort of a response. And that's why I appreciate Bible project. They don't have a question and answer session. They have a question and response section. Mm. Um, but uh, we can have responses to these things. And uh, if someone is willing to listen, if someone is willing to, you know, have that discussion, um, you know, they'll come to it with an open mind. If they're not, then they'll hear what they want to hear and they'll stick with what stick with their guns. And that's the thing. That's why we have you know, debates and discussions about this because a lot of people are going to be approached by these things and not have an answer for them and not have this ever, they've never been approached with this kind of idea. Um, We can talk about slavery, about treatment of women in scripture. We can talk about these holy wars. Um, All of these things are things that I want to expose people to in a Christian setting so that whenever they're faced faced with that in a atheist combative setting that they're they're prepared they've heard that before because a lot of times atheists know our bibles better than we do and one of my favorite things to say in some classes that i've taught is that most scholars are not christian and most christians are not bible scholars so we need to kind of up our game a little bit because if we don't they know more than us that's where 
I think it matters so much that regardless of what all you know, that you approach these conversations with grace and not just like Job 576 verse four says X, Y, or Z. So there, get out of my face, you know? And I feel like we, we were raised to do it that way. And obviously you can have much better conversations when you don't go into them expecting to be the one to lay down the law, but allowing allowing to, to learn from the other side as well. Because honestly, even in some of the hardest topics, if you're actually talking face to face with the person who disagrees wholeheartedly with you, you start to see their side a little bit easier and you can have a little bit more of just like a respect there yeah. and a grace there and have a better conversation. That's one of the difficult things about online conversations. Mm. And I've been trapped in a lot of those is that people will say stuff online that they would never say to your face. And it's not a matter of um, that. It's a matter of separation. It's a matter of when you're not facing the person in front of you, they are not a real person. They are not someone who is deserving of your respect and you have no fear. Uh, And you can just say what you need to say. And you also don't even have the, the backlash of, seeing the hurt on their face that you caused. Like you don't even have that kind of remorse moment if something like that happens, you know? Like you can write back, ouch. (laughs) They're not going to feel that as if they had seen your face like, oh man, that was hurtful, you know? Yeah, yeah. Though uh, we have a lot of ad hominem attacks that happen on on there. And what's really scary is that now that we have access to all of this stuff, again, we have the good that it brings us more knowledge, but we have the bad that, you know, you're talking to everybody. Everything you say is out there for everyone to see. And we see that getting a lot of people in trouble. And we see that getting a lot of people um, in the Christian world in trouble and political world in trouble. And it has really done damage to humanity in that way. But we can use it for good. Yeah. So when I say the church, anytime I say the church, I'm talking about the global church. I'm not talking about any specific congregation, denomination, what have you. But like, where do you think the church has maybe gone wrong in conversations that are a little out of the box in our generation and like past generations? I think that we got, well, it's hard to say because we, we were married to the Masoretic text for a long time and there are some places that it um erases some of the supernatural worldview and we kind of read scripture without looking at it from a spiritual standpoint and that's a hard <clears throat> question to answer though i would say though that we were distracted um that'd be the biggest thing we were distracted uh, we were worried about what boxes we could put god in what uh, how to systemize our theology uh, we had, you know, Presbyterians holding up Calvinism. We had Baptists holding up certain certain boxes that they wanted to put God in. And we had to systematize this theology and find out exactly what we knew and be able to defend it. And because there were so many, so many things that the church was fighting amongst themselves on, that's where we're able to kind of be overcome by Satan's designs. Satan's out there, whether that be, you know, one being or many, um, we have an adversary out there and scripture calls him the devil and he had, he is an intelligent being and he has designs. And I think that we got caught again from the, 
well, probably before the Reformation on, where we're just arguing about everything. I've always liked when you've given me the answer when I've asked you a really weird question of, I don't want to put God in a box. You know, we've talked about how like arguing about the end times is so pointless. I mean, it's not pointless to have an idea of what you believe, but to like stand vehemently disagreeing with people about what they believe about the end times, sometimes it's just not a fruitful thing to do. But like with that conversation, you're not putting God in a box that it has to be this way because scripture worded this this way and it has to be this way. Like we were wrong about what Jesus was going to look like. You know, we're probably wrong about, we're probably all wrong to some degree about what the end times is going to look like or really just his return, I guess. Well, we do try to put God in a box continuously. We try to compartmentalize God and that's not, you know, that's not our life. That's just a part of our life. We have our God life. We have our professional life. We have our social life. And and we have all these different categories that we put things in. And we've done the same thing religiously where we talk about different topics. We have eschatology where we have to put God in this box where was he premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial? What is the point of revelation? Did it happen a long time ago? Did it happen? Is it something that's still a future event? And, and I think a lot of the answers to those questions is yes. No. There's a both and answer that can be acceptable. Uh, we don't have to decide either or. And ultimately, uh, as I've told you, eschatology is one of the, you know, one of the most pointless things to argue about. Mm-hmm. You know, statistically speaking, we're probably not going to be here for it. But if there is a uh, resurrection and we all, you know, travel up into the heavens and there's a you know different place that we go, great. If God restores the new heaven, have the new heaven, new earth idea that's uh, popular now. If that's what happens, great. I'm here for it. I think that, you know, I can see merits in either one, but I don't want to say for sure that I know it is one or the other. Mm -hmm. You were talking about the different denominations. So I do want to just say that this podcast is not from any specific affiliation with a specific denomination. And I believe, and I think you do too, Jeff, you can let me know if you don't, but <laughs> I believe my brothers and sisters are from all different denominations, non-denominations, whatever you want to call it. And we are all a part of the, the global church. So it was Carl Ketcherside, and you're going to make, get me in trouble. Um, Carl Ketcherside uh, was a was it called the restoration movement it was a restoration movement preacher and during the 20th century and he was actually a guy who didn't believe that anyone should have a located preacher he went as far as saying that if you have a located preacher that's wrong later in life he kind of softened his approach and he you know what if i'm going to misquote this somehow but he said I will not make anything a condition of fellowship that God has not already made a condition of salvation and I think that's where I stand. And that's just where I am. And I'm going to be un- unapologetic about that. Yeah. I actually would like to do maybe just like a one-off episode, just talking about what we even mean when we say church. Yeah. Because I think that, you know, we always swing the pendulum too far one way or the other. Yeah. You're either on this one side saying, I never go to church. I just am the church, which... I believe, I believe I'm the church. I believe we're the church because I do believe that the church is the people, the ecclesia, the body of God, right? But we also can swing the opposite direction where 
we compartmentalize, like you said. We attend church on Sunday mornings and evenings and oh, Wednesday yeah. nights and whenever else we want to go. But outside of that, our lives look completely different. And it's important to be amongst believers and worship together. But it's also important to live your life as the church, recognizing that you are an ambassador of Christ everywhere you go. So marrying that, it being your life, less identifying as I'm Presbyterian, I'm Baptist, I'm Church of Christ, I'm Methodist, whatever, and more identifying with I'm a daughter of the King, I'm 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 a son of God. I think that in passionorations, we have been way too quick to just identify with a specific congregation or group of people. We like people who look like us, think like us, worship like us. And for me, whenever I you know, see anything coming from a Pentecostal worship service, I don't get it. It's, you know, it's not something that I would be comfortable in. They definitely, though, believe in a charismatic Holy Spirit. And it's not, uh, I'm not going to say everything they do is wrong. Mm-hmm. I will say that whenever I hear about glossolalia, which is talking in tongues, I think that I have more of an X2 view of what that would look like, uh, where they were, you know, everyone was able to understand because they were speaking in everyone's language whenever they were speaking to them. And, uh, you know, depending on what you think that looked like. And they would look more at a passage in Corinthians where Paul is saying that uh, even if I were to speak in the tongues of angels, I take that as him saying that facetiously, they take it as him saying it literally. We can have those disagreements and still be part of the same church. Yeah. Again, you're going to get me in trouble in this. I visited a new church last week or yesterday, and I just decided to. It just was random. We actually had built a house where I work for one of the pastors at one of their campuses. And it stood out to me. They were just really kind people. They were cool. They were really kind. They were so warm. And I was like, you know, I'm going to visit their church. There was even another pastor we built a house for. And I was like, I'm never attending that church, you know, because of the way that they were throughout the process. I was like, no, no, you know. But anyway, I took my little sister. We went and it was so different from any kind of Sunday morning worship I had ever attended. But I will say, and there were things like, If I had gone five years ago, I would have sat there and judged the entire thing, you know, just like, nope, 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 nope. Don't agree with that. Don't agree with that. But now I was inspired, honestly, by their amount of joy. Like when things would happen, they had some kids that had gone to camp and they had come back and kind of told their testimony of like what happened at camp and why they were saved and whatever. Everyone was cheering and and they would just like start like cheering and screaming like they were so happy that these people had made this decision. But I have just taught Luke 15 the weekend before, or the week before about the rejoicing in heaven over one who repents versus the 99 who were needed no repentance. And I just felt like this must be what, like what that joy in heaven must be like, you know? Yeah. And so things like that and the way that they prayed over one another if they saw someone like raise their hand because they felt some type of way, a random person in the crowd would just come over and start praying over them. Like things like that, where you're like, where there was like that freedom for the spirit to move and and work in that way, as opposed to it being so rigid was just, it's probably not where I'm going to worship, but those things 
I wanted to take back with me, you yeah. know? <laughs> and we look at, uh, speaking of X2, I'm looking at it right now. We had Medes, Parthians, Elamites, those residing in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, and the Romans, both Jews and proselytes. You think all of those who were at the day of Pentecost, when they went home, they all worshiped the same way? There's just there's just no way that that blend of cultures could go back home. They went home and they they preached the gospel and they baptized many believers. And we know that the gospel spread very quickly. And it is a unified story, but it doesn't mean that it all is expressed the same way. And I think that's you know that's that's hard to understand and it's hard to defend. And that's one thing that uh, I learned from the way I was brought up is that I should always be able to defend what I say. And that one come at me. It'll be difficult for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, even within the disciples, you have a zealot and a tax collector. Do you think that they always agreed on the way that you should do many things? No, especially politically speaking. And that, that brings up even in churches today, how we want to pick a side and, you know, decide that, Republican or Democrat, Libertarian, whatever, like yeah, who's right and who's the, wrong. <laughs> the marrying of politics and religion. Yes. Um, <laughs> I will say point blank, we should be able to cast a lot of that aside mm -hmm. in order to um, have unity within the church. And you got to realize that automatically, if you, if, if the first thing that someone hears about you and your religion and what, you know, what you're about, if that is based in, being a Republican or being a Democrat, you have automatically alienated half of the U.S. population. I wanted to ask and bring up how how did this idea of doing a podcast get started? I've been spending the last five years digging in, and there are certain things that I teach the girls on Thursday nights. But there are certain things that are... They're not too weird to bring up, but sometimes they don't just fall within what topic we've already kind of set that we're doing for this season or whatever. And like you, I have to have an outlet. If I'm if I'm taking in and taking in and taking in, I have to have an outlet of discussion. And I also believe discussion helps you learn things so much more than just reading about it. And so I think like me and you going to lunch, Jeff and I go to lunch, like maybe once every two weeks, I'd feel like it usually averages out to. Um, and we started talking more about this stuff. And a couple years ago, I made a joke to Jeff that I wanted to have a podcast called Theology with My Brother. And I didn't even think when I told you that, that it was like, that you really even remembered that I'd said that. And then we kept saying it. And then, well, <laughs> just in case you forgot again. Um, and then like six months ago, you said something like, so when are we doing that podcast? And I was like, oh, shoot, I kind of let that one go. <laughs> but um, I think it's just fun to discuss this stuff and even funner when you can have even more dialogue with it by people listening. And Is it funner or more fun? I make up my own words. I'll call you out every time. You'll hear, you'll hear me make up lots of new words. Um, but yeah, as, as much as we can talk about stuff that intrigues people to know God more, I'm for it. Yeah. Bring attention. Yeah. And find something that intrigues you. Like sometimes people don't, people think the Bible is boring. The Bible is anything but boring. It is when you're just reading it at the surface level and you don't 
find that richness. But once you start digging in and learning how to dig in, and I think sometimes that's even what's hard for people, yeah, is just figuring out where to start and how to ask those questions. So maybe this can help even figure out like what questions to ask and why. Yeah, I mean, and just having the tools at your fingertips that you don't realize that you could have. I actually just recently got into uh, Logos Bible software, and I realized that I didn't have to buy a paper book anymore. They're cheaper on Logos, and they're searchable, and that has made it a lot easier to get through this, and it'll make it a lot easier for me to study as we go forward with all of this. And that's not a paid endorsement by Logos Bible software at all, but... um, it's pretty much uh, you just buy the books and there are versions of it that you can get where you can, you know, pay however much you want. But if you just want to buy the book and have it searchable, that's, you know, you can do that without having any kind of extra, extra money put down. Have you ever read a lot of books and you just felt like your brain was so full and you somehow needed to dump it out? Yeah. Like you also wanted to retain it. Yeah. So I get that way where I'll just like start writing, like I'll just start typing on a Word document on my laptop because there's just so much information about this one topic in my head that I just feel like I need to get it out. But it's also not like such an easy conversation that I could just call my best friend and be like, okay, so giants, then just start (laughs) like telling her all these things. She's going to be like, wait, what? You know, we have to start, we have to start somewhere, you know? So I think also... Just talking about this stuff, I think it's going to be really fun. It should be fun. I mean, and what you're saying as far as retaining all this information, I remember we actually have this program called Lads to Leaders. I have this debate team that I was tasked with uh, studying. And before that was even part of the discussion, I I had read a couple books. One of them was, some, was called From Symposium to Eucharist. Uh, I can't remember who the author was on that one. And there was another one called Come to the Table. And someone had come to me with a question because one of my friends said, oh, yeah, he's done a lot of study on that. Ask him. And now, if you ask me questions about what was in that book from Symposium to Eucharist, I couldn't tell you. Uh, and, and it's such a, uh, a shame to lose that information as we go on. So that's, again, why I appreciate having a searchable Uh, document there. So we pretty much have, I mean, I think as far as an introduction goes, maybe you have a better idea of how, what kinds of things we might be talking about, um, what kinds of things intrigue us. Maybe not, I don't know, a little bit about us, but that's probably a good introduction to just like figuring out if this is a podcast that you would like or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if it's not for you, it's not for you. Um, I do think that uh, the very first thing we're going to be looking into was actually inspired. I was tasked at one point to talk about the minor prophets. And because that's just a topic that, again, people don't study very often. So I, as I went through the minor prophets, I got to Joel 2, and it just connected with so many things that I had been reading. And I had used some notes from uh, John Mark Hicks, who uh, was a teacher up at Lipscomb uh, University. And I had learned from Michael Heiser and a little bit from someone else. I can't remember. But all of these things intersected right there at Joel 2 at the latter part of that. You may know that it's connected to Acts 2, 
but uh, you may not know that it's also connected to Genesis 11, Deuteronomy 32, Genesis 10, Numbers 11, and Isaiah 66. So we're going to connect all those dots um, and actually even going further into Acts and Galatians. That's a lot that uh, I'm not sure we're going to all get in one episode. So, yeah. That's one of the funnest things about scripture, though. I like how the Bible Project calls them hyperlinks. Yeah. How there's so many hyperlinks from one thing to another. And again, that's why it's good to know the entire story of scripture so you really understand it better. Yeah, that's one reason I appreciate them following themes. And you can follow a theme throughout Mm -hmm. the whole scripture. But I think that it's, uh, they, they focus a lot on just like specific words that are strung out throughout, through the to Genesis to Revelation. And there are themes that are talked about that are not strictly using those words. And I think that's uh, where we can shed some light on those particular topics. Okay, so we, I think what we're going to do is try to put out one episode a week. We've actually decided that it will be best for us to put out one episode a month. So be looking for that toward the end of each month and you can ignore the rest of this episode. I don't know what day yet. What day? Just pick a day. Just pick a day. Yeah. Wednesday sounds good. I I was thinking Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. So Wednesdays, we're going to put out episodes weekly. Be there or we don't care. I'm just kidding. (laughs) We care. Please. (laughs) Okay. Be there. We need someone to listen to us. Oh, be there. Oh, wait. That would. Never mind. Okay. We will see you next time. See you next time.